Uh, I'm Lachlan, and I'm reading the Bible passage for today. The Bible passage is Romans 1, 8 to 17. So I'll give you just a quick sec to see if you can find that. So again, Romans 1, verses 8 to 17. Okay, let's kick off. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I am obligated to both, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day again to all the mums out there. And my mum, I haven't said happy Mother's Day to you, so... uh, in, uh, there in Womberall, happy Mother's Day, Mum, uh, and hope to see you very soon. Uh, and I hope for all of you mums and families, you uh, at least got together somehow or other, or get together somehow or other today, uh, even if it's over uh, Zoom or Skype or something like that. Um, each Mother's Day, I put out a survey in our church community, uh, and we sort of get some feedback. Uh, and I asked uh, our, uh, the people of our church, what's one word that comes to mind when you think about your mum? And so here's a little bit of a, a snapshot of what that was. The bigger the word, the kind of more popular it was, the more it resonated uh, with people. So lots of people said their mums were thoughtful, determined, loving, hardworking, dependable, strong, encouraging, a whole range of things. You know, some of the words that came back were not all that flattering, uh, but they didn't feature too highly, uh, thankfully. Uh, but I don't think we're saying our mums are perfect, but on the whole, we're just so appreciative of our mums. Uh, and I got you to tell me how proud or embarrassed uh, you were about your mum during the different stages of your life. And I kind of mapped it out on a graph. So here it is. I don't think it'll surprise you particularly, um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Um, Most of us have been proud of our mums throughout our lives, but the teenage years are the most challenging. Uh, The teenage years are when we're most tempted to be a little more embarrassed about our mums. It's funny because I remember um, when our kids were growing up, you know, you had kids' parties and during primary school, kids' parties were great because you got to meet all the parents. But it's kind of like as soon as the kids hit high school, 
you never meet the parents because they're always stuck in the cars because it's just too embarrassing for mum or dad to come and join the party. Uh, and, you, you know, you can sort of feel that sense of, oh, I'm a little bit more embarrassed about mum or dad during the teenage years. But notice on the graph, the older we get, the more we reflected and generally we become less embarrassed and more proud of our mums over time. Now, here are the top five things we kids uh, used to find embarrassing about our mums as we were growing up. <clears throat> uh, and you look at that list and you think, most of those things are not actually that bad, really. Uh, and often over time, we grow to appreciate the very things we once found so embarrassing. Uh, and it's really interesting. Um, I put out uh, a survey about what's, uh, which mum from TV and the movies is most like your mum. And the top answer to that was Mrs. Weasley. Uh, from the Harry Potter movies. And that would be my pick too, right? So my mum, uh, you know, as I think about TV movie mums, you're most like Mrs. Weasley. See, at times Ron found her embarrassing, overprotective, uh, a little daggy. Not that, you know, I'm not talking about my mum here at this point, but a little daggy. And yet she is so loving, nurturing, caring, and when the time demands it, fiercely protective uh, for what is good and for her kids. Uh, Mother's Day really is a great time uh, to give thanks and acknowledge the hard work of our mums. Uh, and I want to capture that theme as we go through the talk today. But we've started looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So it goes back 2,000 years ago. It's from the Bible. And it's interesting, the early Christians were tempted to be embarrassed about Paul and the good news of Jesus that he brought. And one of the questions I really want us to wrestle with today is why is that? Why were people, why were even Christians embarrassed by Paul and the gospel of Jesus? Remember, gospel just means good news. Why would you be embarrassed by good news? And why is the gospel of Jesus actually good news? something that we should embrace and be proud of. So we're in Romans chapter 1, and Paul's kind of still introducing us to him and to the message of Jesus. Um, and as you listen, as you listen to those verses that Lachlan read out, you could, you could be wondering, why on earth would you get embarrassed by Paul? He's just a man filled with such deep, and genuine love. Look at verse 8. So this is Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, he is my witness how constantly I remember you in all my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will... The way may be opened for me to come to you. See, Paul had met some of the Christians from Rome, but he himself had never been there to Rome to visit the Christians. And most of the Christians in Rome, he had never met them face to face. Uh, and yet he wanted, he desperately wanted to meet them face to face, to have that face to face 
contact. Now, what do you do when you're isolated from the people you love? Um, Now, we've experienced that ourselves, haven't we, Uh, over these past weeks and months? Many of us are isolated from family and friends. We'd love to, you know, hug them. Uh, We'd love to be in the same room as them. Uh, And even as, you know, restrictions start to ease in New South Wales, you know, we've got loved ones in other states. Um, Some of us have got family and friends in other parts of the world, and we just long to see them. Now, what Paul does in this state of isolation, two things. Firstly, he prays for them. Uh, He thanks God for them. He remembers all the great things that God has been doing in their lives. He thanks them. He thanks God for them. Um, And he also asks God, please bring us together. Uh, Please work in our lives. Um, This is the privilege of being Christian. And that is, even when we can't be with each other face to face, we still have a heavenly father whom we share and he loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves us to cast our cares on him. Even in the midst of lockdown, we can profoundly impact each other's lives by praying for one another. And the second thing Paul does is he writes a letter. And this is the most profound and powerful letter ever written. Uh, The good news of Jesus is unpacked so beautifully, so thoughtfully, so profoundly in this letter. But all the same, right? So he, he prays, he writes, but all the same, that's no substitute for face-to-face contact. Um, and you know, kind of the same for us, isn't it? Even though we have prayer, which is a beautiful privilege, even though we have the word of God and we can listen and hear and wrestle with it, we're human and we're built. God has made us for physical face-to-face relationship with each other. And there is no substitute for that. And that's what Paul longs for and prays for. And I hope we're doing the same, longing and praying uh, to be with each other again. The other thing about Paul is he deeply desired for the Christians in Rome to be strong, uh, to have spiritual muscle. Look at verse 11. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. He wants them to stand strong and firm as believers, to hold on to the good news. Verse 12, that is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is not just about Paul encouraging them, but they in turn bringing deep encouragement to him. Verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest, a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. See, Paul wants to see a harvest in Rome. He wants to see fruitfulness abound in Rome. And the harvest he wants to see is more and more people coming to know Jesus And he wants to see the Christians themselves strong, mature, and bearing fruit, Christ-like, loving, servant-hearted. It's interesting, amongst our leadership at church, 
Uh, we often talk about the shift you need to make if you want to be a good leader. And the shift is from focusing on the fruit on my tree <coughs> and shifting the focus to fruit on the tree of others, to fruit on your tree. Uh, let me unpack that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we all love bearing fruit. You know, we all love that sort of experience of saying, I shared the message of Jesus with a person uh, and as a result, they came to become a Christian. They came to follow Jesus. It's just such an awesome privilege and joy to see fruit from your own ministry. But leadership involves a shift where I want each of you to bear fruit and I want to celebrate fruit on your tree. And that's what Paul wants. It's not about him. It's about them, wanting them to be strong, wanting them to bear fruit, wanting to see love, joy, uh, wanting to see people coming Christians through the church in Rome. Now, I see this in my mum. Um, my mum, as far as I can remember, never sought to be the hero herself. Um, the more I think about it, the more I realised what made my mum proud, and I love you, mum, what made my mum proud was not her success, but my success uh, and the success of my brother and sister. Uh, and nothing made her prouder than seeing her children grow and embrace the message of Jesus and live fruitful lives for him. Many of you would have heard of Don Carson, uh, one of the great leaders of Christianity throughout the world. But you've probably never heard of Don Carson's mum. Uh, I couldn't even find a photo of her. She was a missionary. She was highly educated. Then she became a mother of three. And the sphere of her influence changed dramatically. Her focus became family life. And Don Carson remembers someone asking his mum um, this question, what are you doing with your life? Right? And for a mum to hear that question, it can almost sound like an accusation. What are you doing with your life? You know, you've got so much going for you. What are you doing with your life? And she replied, I am building character. Uh, and that stuck with Don Carson. You know, she didn't hesitate. She wasn't disappointed or embarrassed in the slightest. She just said, I am building character. I'm, I'm equipping the next generation with the gospel to be strong, resilient, fruitful disciples of Jesus. And that was Paul's focus. And in verse 14, he says, that's my focus amongst Greeks and non-Greeks. And I think by that, he's probably talking about the civilized world but the uncivilized as well, uh, wise and foolish. And Paul's ministry of lovingly expounding the message of Jesus will even filter down 2,000 years later to us here in Australia. And when you, <clears throat> excuse me, when, you, um, when you listen to Paul and his just beautiful love for the people, you think, why would you ever be embarrassed by Paul? Uh, why would you be embarrassed by someone who just has so much selfless love 
the reason people were tempted to be embarrassed by Paul was because of the message of Jesus. See, Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I asked the guys in my growth group this question. Why would someone be ashamed of Paul and the good news of Jesus? So you think 2,000 years ago, why would you be ashamed of Paul and the good news of Jesus? Uh, The guys in the group came up with these answers. Firstly, the shameful death of Jesus. See, Greek culture, the Roman world, was a shame-honour culture. Uh, And the idea of the great king being spat on, mocked, stripped naked, paraded through the streets, and then publicly strung up, bloody and beaten to die on a cross, uh, that just, that was a message of failure and degradation. It really was a miracle that the good news of Jesus had any success in a culture that despised weakness and failure. Uh, But in the opening chapters of of this letter, Uh, Over the next few weeks, Paul will show that the death of Jesus is actually the glory of Christianity. It really is something to celebrate, not be ashamed of. Secondly, the second temptation to be ashamed is the failure of Jews embracing the good news. See, Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. The gospel came in the context of the promises God had made to the Jewish people. Uh, And yet the reality was so few Jews were embracing Jesus. So few Jews were embracing the gospel as good news. Uh, And Paul will spend chapters 9 to 11 sort of unpacking why that is and why it is that the gospel hasn't failed. Uh, So that'll be in a few months' time if you stick with us. Uh, The third reason to be ashamed might be the severe opposition to the good news. So it almost feels like everywhere Paul went, he stirred up riots, uh, crowds of hatred, people trying to stone him, putting him in prison. Even after he writes this letter, his intention was to then sail to Rome. But what, what happens is he's imprisoned And he will eventually arrive in Rome, but he'll only arrive there as a prisoner uh, under arrest, ready to appear before Caesar. Uh, And so to have a leader uh, that has been so shamefully treated, so opposed, uh, that's a shameful thing. Uh, There's other things, the message of sin and judgment. Uh, It's the gospel is good news, but only after you come to terms with your own sin and the judgment of God, then you realise it is great news. Uh, But a lot of people just get stuck and hear sin and judgment and don't want to hear it anymore. And integral to the good news of Jesus was the sexual ethics of Paul and Jesus himself. The idea that God created us for his purposes, the idea that God created sex and gender Uh, We don't make up the rules ourselves. God has made sex and gender for a reason. And so next week, we're going to come back to that that theme as we look at the end of chapter 1. Now, 
The good news of Jesus can still bring embarrassment today. Lots of people are still ashamed of the good news of Jesus today and of Paul himself. But I think the ranking has changed. So according to the guys in my group, it's kind of flipped. So people don't really care about the shameful death of Jesus much anymore. Um, People don't care much about the failure of the Jews to embrace the gospel. Um, Severe opposition, that is something that puts people off. And then the message of sin and judgment is just as offensive today as it ever was. But it kind of feels like the, the biggest reason to be ashamed these days is the sexual ethics of Paul and of Jesus himself. Um, and it's still tempting, even amongst Christians, to be anonymous or to be embarrassed, to kind of pull back and say, oh, I don't want to associate too much with the good news of Jesus. It's tempting to refuse to stand with other brothers or Christians who are, other brothers or sisters who are being persecuted. It's tempting to avoid the unpopular or the shameful parts of the gospel. Uh, and there are churches out there who will oblige. There are churches out there who will kind of prune back all the offensive bits of the gospel and only share the nice bits. But Paul says, no, I am not ashamed. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. At the end of the day, the question is not, is the gospel popular? The question is not, does everyone like it? But the question is, is the gospel true? Um, Is the gospel the power of God for salvation? Is our eternal destiny on the line? Are we dealing with heaven and hell here? And is the gospel our only hope of entering God's eternal kingdom? Uh, And we'd love you to explore these things with us. So we're running a life course. Uh, In a couple days' time, we start on Tuesday night. But we'd like you to join with us and wrestle with the question, is the message of Jesus true? And uh, you can just go on our website, say, I'm new, let us know. Uh, And you can sign up for that course. Uh, We'd love to have you part of that. But as Paul thinks about these questions, he says, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter how popular I am or the message I bring is. At the end of the day, what matters is that one day I will stand before my Creator and give an account. And on that day, I want to be saved. I want to be welcomed into his kingdom. And Paul had become persuaded that the message of Jesus was true, but also that it was his, his only hope of salvation on that last day. Verse 17, he says, For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
Now, 500 years ago, almost to the day, Martin Luther wrestled with this verse. Uh, he was a Catholic monk. Uh, he'd already done his you know, training and so on to be a Catholic monk. But he just wrestled with this phrase, the righteousness of God. He couldn't understand how the righteousness of God was good news. So this is what he wrote. He says, I hated that word, righteousness of God, which I'd been taught to understand that God is righteous and he punishes the unrighteous sinner. Though I'd lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I didn't love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, I was angry with God. Thus, I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat importunately upon Paul at that place, most ardently desiring to know what Paul wanted. And there I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And here I felt I was altogether born again and it had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Thus, that place in Paul was for me truly the gate of paradise. See, Luther knew that he could never be good enough to earn salvation. And the big breakthrough for him was the genuinely good news that God's righteousness was given to us as a gift and we receive it not by earning it, but we receive it by faith. Uh, and that discovery was kind of the trigger for what's called the Protestant Reformation, where Luther and a whole lot of other godly men and women said, we're going to have to abandon the Catholic Church because its leaders have not been treat, teaching the true gospel of Jesus. They've distorted it. Um, and over the next few weeks, we'll go on that journey that Paul went on. We'll go on that journey that Luther went on, hearing and understanding the powerful good news. Yes, God is righteous. Yes, we are sinners. But as we put our faith in Jesus... So we are rescued from the judgment to come and we are welcomed into God's family uh, as his blameless children. So let me come back to where we began. When it comes to our mums, many of us were embarrassed for a time, only to realise mum wasn't the problem, I was the problem. Yes, she might tell funny stories from when I was a kid, Yes, she might give me kisses and cuddles and advice, even, even when I don't ask for it. But she has been in my corner. Uh, and so much of what she did was for me. And that's not something to be embarrassed about. That's something to celebrate. And it's the same with Paul and the gospel of Jesus. Yes, the message is confronting Yes, it, it has been unpopular, always been the case. Yes, some people even hate it. But the, the gospel 
genuinely is good news. It is God's power for salvation for everyone who believes. And that is something not to be ashamed of. That's something to celebrate and rejoice. Uh, And Paul and so many servants of the gospel since, they've been motivated by love and genuine concern as they brought the gospel. And we're so thankful that they brought not just the nice bits, but the whole gospel. Uh, And that's what we ought to be committed to ourselves. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? Dear God, our Father, we want to thank you so much for this good news of Jesus. Some of us are still wrestling with it. Help us to discover the truth. Help us to discover not just what is popular, but what is true. Father, many of us have discovered the truth of the gospel. And we want to thank you that the good news comes to us as a gift from Jesus. Help us to trust him. And help us to understand and embrace not just the parts we like, but all of it. And Father, we want to thank you for your faithful servants throughout history like Paul and Luther and many, many others. Thank you that they spoke your gospel without fear, courageously, persuasively, with love and even tears. Please equip our leaders today to do the same so that with Paul we can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, including me. Amen.